Well, folks, I've got a bunch of good news for you this morning. Jesus is alive, amen? Yes. All right. God has a perfect plan for your life if you are willing to align it with his will. Amen? Amen. And the Holy Spirit is present and wants to be active in your life. All three members of the Trinity want to draw you closer and guide you through the many trials that this life brings. And God is clearly at work here at Whitestone. But here's the deal. You must first seek him. You must listen for his guidance and you must learn to distinguish his voice from all the other noise that we're exposed to in this very broken world. This morning I'm gonna share some thoughts and maybe some tips about how to recognize God's voice, plus some specific personal examples. And later I'll share some very exciting news about our building. Well, I don't know about you, but I have been both challenged and refreshed by Pastor Luke's sermon series about prayer. It's caused me to reflect on my own prayer life, and I've got to be honest, I haven't liked everything that I've seen. Over the past several weeks, Pastor Luke has taught us that a vibrant prayer life must be two-way communication. It should be much, much more than just submitting a list of requests to an unseen God, and then simply going about our life, hoping that these requests will be granted. Luke has strongly encouraged us to also listen to whatever God might have to share with us. This teaching is perfectly in step with what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But I fear that there are many here today or watching online that this is somewhat new territory for you, or at the least an area of your spiritual life where you're not too sure about your, of yourself, for yourself. How do I know this? Because in the not too distant past, I was in the same boat. It seemed all my Christian friends were hearing from God all the time, and I was left wondering, what's wrong with me? Because I didn't think I was getting any direction from God. Now in no way do I want to leave the impression that I had this all figured out I'm learning right along with the rest of you how to clearly hear from God. But hopefully you will benefit from hearing some of my past experiences. One of my problems was that I had to alter my expectations of what it meant to hear from God. Here's a verse that Luke shared a couple of weeks ago. In the 10th chapter of James, it says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and they know me. My sheep recognize my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Now, this verse is very reassuring because it clearly says that Jesus speaks to and guides his followers. Therefore, we should fully expect to receive guidance from him. But how does this verse make you feel if you don't think you're hearing God's voice. Furthermore, earlier in the book of John, Jesus is quoted as saying, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them 
is that you are not of God. Wow. You are not of God. Those are pretty condemning words. My problem for many years was that because the words hearing and voice were used in these verses, I kept waiting for some thunderclap from the heavens and a big, deep, godly voice telling me exactly what I needed to hear. But you know what? It's never happened like that. What was I missing? Made me wonder, am I even saved if I'm not hearing from God? Am I even part of Jesus' flock? Well, I'm sure that some here today have no doubt heard an audible voice from God at some point in their life. Let me assure the rest of us that this is not a requirement to be part of Jesus' flock. If it was, where would that leave our brothers and sisters who are deaf? Yet I am quite confident that they are very capable of hearing God's voice clearly. In fact, being deaf might be an advantage. With that said, once you learn to recognize when and how God speaks to you, it can be so crystal clear and carry such authority that it will seem like an audible voice. Therefore, this morning, I'll continue to use the words like voice and hearing, even though they can be misleading for those who are new to this whole hearing from God thing. But the vast majority of time, I believe God speaks into our minds and our hearts and not our ears. Let's also remember there are several other ways that God communicates with his people. Top of the list is Scripture. It's called the inspired word of God for a reason. Yes, there's history. Yes, you can gain knowledge. But the real value of reading scripture is the insight it can provide you. I can't tell you how many times I'll be reading scripture and something will suddenly come into focus, something I wasn't even thinking about. So there's no question that scripture is one of the ways that God speaks to his people. Another way is through other people. It can be usually a believer, but a friend or a mentor. Or I think we've all experienced listening to a sermon, whether it be in real life, maybe on TV, radio, or a podcast, and you have this overwhelming feeling that God is speaking directly to you through that speaker. So clearly, God can speak to us through other people. Dreams and visions. Now, I seldom remember my dreams, so this isn't a big one for me, but you read the Bible, and God has spoken to many, many people through dreams, and I believe there are still people today who God speaks through through dreams and visions. One of my favorites is his creation. Through his creation, God will reveal his glory and inspire us. Think of a sunset. Think of a perfectly calm lake with a little bit of mist coming up off it early in the morning. Can you think of a more soothing, relaxing message from God than something like that? And then another way that I firmly believe that God speaks to us is through his voice. Occasionally it can be audible, but usually it's through thoughts and ideas. So while God speaks to us in many ways, this morning I'd like to focus on recognizing God's voice when he speaks into our minds. I'm convinced that God speaks to us through our thoughts way more than we realize. 
but because we are usually so busy with life that we fail to tune him in well enough to recognize that voice. By far the most frequent way that God communicates with me is, uh, and I believe most believers, is that what is often called his still small voice. The still small voice comes in the forms of thoughts and uh, perceptions. Generally speaking, I hear this voice best when I'm sitting quietly, but that's not true for everybody. I know people who say they hear God's voice only when they're jogging, which makes no sense to me whatsoever. (laughs) Everyone, and I encourage everyone in this room to find their own best way to invite God into their thoughts. For me, it's getting up early in the morning, sitting quietly with a hot cup of coffee and watching the sun come up and just seeing where God takes my thoughts. Here's the key. Learn to listen to your thoughts, not your hearing. I firmly believe that God will speak to you in that still small voice through your thoughts if you give him a chance. One of the things that makes God's voice when he's speaking into our mind tricky is that there are competing voices bouncing around in our thoughts. Satan has a voice, and then there's our own voice. It can be very difficult to determine which thoughts and perceptions are from God amidst all the other clutter that this world throws at us. I've learned from experience that generally speaking, Satan's voice will be sinful and will probably be hurtful towards other people. Whereas our own voice is usually self-centered and selfish. In the third chapter of James, uh, we're provided a litmus test of sort for discerning who is influencing our thoughts. James refers to this as two kinds of wisdom, even though one is clearly not wisdom at all. In verses 14 and 15, it says, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. Now, as I mentioned, sinfulness is obviously something the devil is going to uh, uh, share with you with his voice, but bitter envy and selfish ambition. Those are two keys that we need to watch for when discerning whether our thoughts are from above or from another source. And then there's Jesus' description of God's voice. And this is found in James 3:17. And let me read it slowly. But wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. God's not going to tell you to do something that's unholy that's against his desires for the way man he wants man to live. But wisdom from above that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit impartial and sincere. Let me ask you, who does this sound like? Those of you who have taken phase one discipleship probably remember the lesson when you were asked to describe Jesus with descriptive words. I think this verse perfectly reflects the personality of Jesus. Therefore, if the words we hear from Jesus do not reflect his personality, we need to be 
careful. Hang on to this verse, James 3.17. Memorize it if possible. At the very least, write it down and keep it near wherever your quiet spot is, wherever you go to try and listen to God. And then when you feel like you've heard something from God, meditate on it. Lift it up. And with practice, you will be able to recognize thoughts that come from above. Now, everyone must find their own best way to invite God into their thoughts. Personally, if I want guidance for a specific problem, I find it helpful to say, Jesus, if you were me, what would you do about, and then verbalize whatever issue it is, whatever problem I'm dealing with at that time. Or sometimes I might just say, Jesus, if you were me, what would you do today? Sometimes I sense an answer right away, but often it comes a while later. If I do sense that God might be giving me specific instructions, I find it helpful to lift it back up to him. And what I mean by that is to restate what I feel like he has spoken into my mind. After doing that, if I feel a sense of peace and calm, then I will be pretty confident that it was godly wisdom that he shared. But if I feel uneasiness or even angst, then I have to keep praying or maybe even dismiss what I heard entirely as not being from above. Sometimes God takes my thoughts to places I don't expect. And sometimes clear guidance doesn't come at all, which is okay once you are confident in your ability to recognize God's voice. Silence from above might indicate that your thoughts are already aligned with God's will. But that doesn't mean you stop seeking his voice. Just don't get discouraged if you don't get an answer right away. Keep lifting it up and accept the possibility that silence might mean your thoughts are already aligned with God's will. These are a couple of things that uh, help me hear from God more clearly, but the only way to find out what helps you bring God into your thought life is to practice. Experience is without question the best teacher when it comes to recognizing God's voice. While the most frequent way God communicates with me is with a gentle, still, small voice speaking into my thoughts, I have been in situations and had events in my life where God used a much stronger, more dramatic voice to get my attention to communicate with me. Thinking back over my uh, uh, prayer life over the last couple of decades, I've come up with seven different tones that I'm gonna call God voices. And I'd like to share these with you, and for most of them, I'm going to give a personal example of how these voices impacted my life. Now, my objective is not to try and convince you that somehow I have a special connection with God, but it's to help you recognize God's voice when he speaks to you in a more dramatic way. The first voice, God voice, that I've identified is an urgent voice. Several years ago, when the older of our two sons was attending the University of Minnesota, I believe it was his second year, he moved off campus with a bunch of his buddies, and it was an old house in kind of a sketchy neighborhood. 
And because it was quite a ways off campus, he bought an old beat up Honda moped to get to and from classes. Well, one night, I don't know, it was after midnight, I was sound asleep and I woke up and there was no question in my mind that God was telling me that my son was in some kind of trouble. I had no idea what, but I felt the only thing I could do was to lay there in the dark and pray for him, pray for his protection. Didn't know what I was protecting him from, but I felt very strongly because God spoke to me in an urgent voice that I needed to pray for his protection. Well, after many minutes of uh, praying and worrying and, and trying to turn it over to God to protect him, I picked up the phone and called him. And much to my relief, he did answer, but he was out of breath. And I said, Hyatt, that's my son's name, are you okay? What's going on? And he said, I'm okay now. But he said, I was going to bed and I heard someone back behind the house stealing my moped. And so I went out and he started running down the alley, pushing the moped. And he had a big lead on him and I was just about ready to give up when the guy suddenly dropped the moped on the alley and cut him between two houses. Now, I didn't help my son in any way within the physical realm. I was too far away. But I believe because God spoke to me in an urgent voice, I was able to protect him within the spiritual realm. And I don't know if angels were summoned or what it was, but I do believe because God spoke to me, woke me up with an urgent voice, I was able to help get him out of that situation. The next voice I'd like to talk about is an insistent voice. And I think we've all heard this, where you're prompted over and over again, go talk to this person, call this person, uh, go visit him, send a text, whatever. Hopefully, more times than not, we learn to re, uh, respond to that insistent voice. The example I'd like to give uh, you, a personal example of an insistent voice, actually is kind of a combination of urgent and insistent voice. Many years ago, my wife's uh, dad passed away leaving uh, her mom alone. And uh, it was after the funeral, a week or two, and Becky and I were just sitting quietly in our living room reminiscing about Glenn, my father-in-law, and about the funeral and who was there and, and whatnot. And Becky kept hearing an insistent voice, call mom, call your mom. And she thought, well, that's crazy. She had just talked to her a few hours before. Why would she need to call her again? But that insistent voice continued, call mom, call mom. So finally, I said, call mom. And so she did. Well, Irma was sitting there in her living room all by herself, suffering chest pain. She was having a heart attack. If Becky had not responded to that insistent voice, she very likely would have lost both of her parents within a couple weeks. So be responsive when God prompts you over and over again. The next voice I'd like to kind of highlight is a convicting voice. And what I've seen is that if you don't respond to the insistent voice, you're probably gonna hear the convicting voice. <laughs> I've also noticed that the convicting voice is very closely associated with forgiveness. If God wants you to forgive someone, if God wants you to let go of something that you're holding against someone else, you're gonna hear that convicting voice. Be responsive to it. The next voice that I have identified in my life that I want to talk about is his reassuring voice. And we all love to be reassured. And I think God does a wonderful job of that. But one specific time that uh, I want to share 
was uh, when our oldest granddaughter was born. Uh, it was a long, difficult labor, and so uh, uh, my wife Becky and I ended up traveling to the hospital. It was a small town in Minnesota. Uh, so we got there, and shortly after we arrived, the decision was made that the best course of action was to do a C-section. So they took Haley, our daughter, and her husband to the operating room, and Becky and I found a comfortable spot. And we were actually giddy, because we're thinking, oh, we're going to be holding our first grandchild in just a little bit. When all of a sudden, over the PA system came the announcement, code blue, OR1. And it was like doctors and nurses came out of the woodwork and were running down the hall. Well, as I said, this is a small town hospital. It happened to be late at night. We knew nothing else was going on. And so it had to be either our daughter or our granddaughter. So we both kind of freaked out and we were praying and I remember pacing up and down the hall and Becky said, I've got to go to the bathroom. So she headed down the hall and went to the bathroom, and I just continued to fret and pray and, and not know what was going on. And pretty soon she came back, and she had a completely different look on her face. And I said, what happened? And she said, Jesus spoke to me in the bathroom. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but that's not the place I would probably go to hear from Jesus. But that's where Jesus spoke to my wife in a reassuring voice. And it reassured her and it reassured me too as a result of her telling me. And looking back, that reassuring voice gave us the confidence and the strength to be there for our kids because it turned into about a 10-day ordeal uh, before we finally had a healthy granddaughter. And I'm happy to report that that little girl is now eight years old. She's beautiful and bright and perfectly healthy. So I thank God for that reassuring voice. The other three voices I'd like to highlight, the examples I'm going to share have all had a direct impact on Whitestone Church. I believe this is solid evidence that God's guiding hand has been on this body of believers, and my prayer is that that continues to be the case. The next voice is a unifying voice. Uh, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago, this church was in need of a new senior pastor. And like most churches, we formed a search committee. And the search committee went to work and developed criteria and processes and wrote ads, all the things that search committees are supposed to do. And we put quite a few hours in getting this just right. And we had picked out some websites we were going to post the position on. The night before we were going to post the position, we felt like we needed to get together and make sure we had everything together. We actually met right in this room. We sat on these steps right here. And we just had a sense that we were supposed to pray about this one more time. So we kind of went to different corners of the room. I think there were one or two of us up on the stage and we prayed for several minutes quietly. We came back together. And I could just sense nobody wanted to go first. And finally, I guess I manned up and said, this is what I heard. I heard that you already have your man. It's Luke Dye. Amen. And within the next few minutes, <laughs> then everyone else opened up. And folks, they heard almost exactly the same words. It was a unifying voice from God that what could have been a long drawn out ordeal of uh, interviewing people and sorting through resumes 
Instead, God spoke to us in a unifying voice and made it very clear that Luke was the man that he had chosen to lead this church. So I praise God for the unifying voice that night. The next voice, I'm going to call it a preparatory voice. And this is when God speaks into your thoughts and prepares you that something, for something that's going to happen in the future. After Luke had been uh, our lead pastor for several years, the church was growing, and it became obvious to the elders that uh, they needed someone to help him with the, the business side of things. And we looked at a couple of candidates, and for one reason or another, it didn't work out. Well, one night, I got woke up in the middle of the night. Now, does that kind of seem like a theme, that maybe middle of the night is... And I couldn't sleep, and I, I knew something was going on, and I didn't want to disturb Becky, so I got up and went into our guest bedroom, and I remember just flopping down backwards on the bed and just crying out, God, what is it? I need sleep. I've got, I've got a big day coming up. And the thought that came into my mind was the preparatory voice said, someday you're going to be the administrative pastor at Whitestone. That made no sense to me whatsoever. I had a good job. I was being well compensated. I had a career path. I was looking ahead to retiring comfortably in not too many years. And so I actually argued with God for a while. But in his preparatory voice, he continued to tell me someday I was going to be the administrative pastor. So after a while, I made a deal. I said, okay, God, if you're telling me truth, you've got to give me strong confirmation. Well, that was, I believe that was on a Tuesday night. The next Friday afternoon, I brought my dog out here. I uh, like to let him exercise on the, the property here. So I pulled in and headed out there, and who should pull in right behind me but Luke Dye. And uh, Luke goes, hey, how you doing? Hey, when you get through running your dog, why don't you come in? I want to talk to you for a little bit. So I ran the dog, put him back in the car, came inside, went in. We chatted for a couple of minutes, and Luke goes, Hey, this is totally out of the blue. But would you ever think about becoming the administrative pastor here? <laughs> and it was like God had taken a two-by-four and slapped me upside the head with that confirmation. And the fact that I had heard gave him confirmation. And we didn't act on it real quick. In fact, I don't even think I told my wife for a week or two about, about this. Uh, but over the next few months, more confirmation came. Privately, different elders would say things to me. Things started to happen at work. They kind of hinted that, okay, maybe this is the right thing to do. So a few months later, I did indeed become the administrative pastor. I want to tell you the last seven years have been the most rewarding years of my life, and I hope that Whitestone has benefited from this preparatory voice, too. Thank you. The final God voice that I'd like to talk about, I'm going to call it a collective voice. And the elders, I know there's a few elders here in the room, have seen this many times. We will be confronted with an issue, something we need to decide how to proceed on. And so we'll break off and we'll pray. None of us will be given the whole answer. Different people will be given a piece of it. But then together, it makes a whole. And that's the principle that we used a little, over, uh, a little less than a year ago 
when uh, we launched the Hearing from God building campaign, that collectively, as a body of believers, we would be instructed on how to proceed on uh, uh, expanding this building because uh, we obviously have some crowding issues. And also we ask people to just pray for God, to God about how they should participate, whether it be through a donation, uh, the other ways that uh, uh, we've had people prayer, uh, participate. It's different ideas. We've, uh, we've had some marvelous ideas come forth so that uh, the plan, the master plan is evolving. Well, through that approach, we were able to become debt-free in December, uh, which is an awesome thing. Uh, we've also had some wonderful ideas come forth. The master plan that we presented a little less than a year ago called for remodeling of that end of the building at the end of the uh, expansion phase after we built whatever we end up doing out here. Well, God spoke to a few people and made it really clear that if we did that first instead of last, that it would ease our crowding problems in the near term and make much more efficient use of the space that we have now. We're not changing the master plan, we're changing the order in which things will be done. The goal and really the, the uh, heart of this uh, remodeling plan is to make spaces more flexible. Make spaces so they can be used in one way during the week and a different way on Sunday. By doing that, we can ease the crowding problem without actually adding any square footage. So I'd like to kind of take you through a walk uh, on uh, what we see happening. Now the window of opportunity for this is this summer because much of the work will be done where the youth and the Sunday school meet and they take the months of July and August off. So if you could give me the, the first slide. Okay, I'm gonna take you for a little walk through. This is the main floor. And uh, if you could highlight the entrance, we're gonna walk through both double doors. Uh, the cafe will be improved somewhat. There'll be some more counter space. Uh, we don't know exactly how that's gonna happen. Also, the info desk will be reconfigured so that it can be used for the uh, office manager's workspace during the week and then I actually think it'll be a better info area. Okay, now let's look over here and see the double doors right there. That goes into an area that is currently a workspace and some offices. We're gonna blow that open. We're gonna open that up. Uh, the staff has embraced the uh, uh, concept of more of an open workspace. There will still be offices for confidential uh, conversations, but this door will lead into an area that will serve multiple purposes. Some days it'll be overflow for cafe. Some days it'll just be a lounge where people can hang out. It can be a workspace. And a lot of times it will be a classroom that will use almost exclusively for adult education. This, uh, this picture shows uh, kind of an overflow for the ca cafe. By the way, those are not the cheap plastic tables. Those are tables that have already been donated they're on wheels, so we can literally reconfigure this room any way we want in a matter of minutes. So uh, this, is, uh, this shows kind of maximum seating for a classroom if you want everybody to have a table to write on. Uh, and there's, uh, you can't quite see them all there, but uh, there's almost 50 seats there. That would be packed, 
but that gives you an idea of how much capacity with tables. Without tables set theater style, you can get even more people than that in there. Uh, go back to the, the previous slide. I wanted to point out a uh, couple of things. There will be some, some comfortable uh, uh, furnishings in here, a couch or two, and also it'll be very easy to push one of these tables into the corner, and that can be a workspace for the staff member. Here you can see over here on this side. Okay, the biggest advantage of this room being downstairs is that it eliminates handicap accessibility issues for adult classes upstairs. Folks that have trouble with stairs will no longer have to go up there. It'll be right on the main floor. I think that's a huge plus. All right, let's go upstairs. Now, I know that a lot of you have maybe not been upstairs. Uh, right now, to be honest with you, it's, it's kind of chopped up. Uh, and we're going to open it up, and uh, I'll show you how. Okay, we're going to start here in this green area down low. That's the top of the steps. Okay, we walk through the door, and here's the view we see. Down that hall will be new and improved Sunday school room. Uh, there'll be more square footage and better use of the square footage. Uh, we're not going to go there today. Instead, let's take a left turn. This is a gathering space that will be used on Sunday morning for adults, but then during the week, this will be part of the youth room. Those double doors, we envision it kind of like barn doors. Uh, beyond that will be the heart of the youth program. The youth pastor's office will be in there. That's where Team 56, which is what they call uh, fifth and sixth grade Sunday school, will be meeting in there. So during the week, those doors will most likely be open, and especially on the night the youth groups get together so that they have really this whole floor. Then on Sunday morning, that'll be closed, and that space will be for Team 56. This area here will be a place where the youth can hang out. There will be outlets above those uh, counters along the wall where they can recharge their devices. We're hopeful that maybe youth will come do homework in this area. Then on Sunday morning, this is a place for adults who want to go upstairs to a brand new overflow room can hang out. Okay, let's take a look at that overflow room. So now we're going to turn to the right from inside the door. Now, I don't know how many of you have been up there, but in this space, currently, there are three office areas and three storage rooms and a little bitty space where sometimes we cram 40 kids in for a large group teaching uh, for uh, Sunday school. Very, very inadequate. We're going to remove all those temporary walls and create a space that'll look something like this. Now, that little counter there, that's a sound booth. Uh, it doesn't show any sound equipment or chair, but that's what that is. Okay, can you give me the next slide? As you can see, there'll be a stage, so there will be live music up there on Sunday mornings. Now, it'll be probably a little more laid back than in here, uh, maybe just an acoustic guitar with one leader, maybe two or three uh, musicians, uh, but it will be live music. And then when it's time for the message, give me the next slide, please. With a high-quality projector, the sermon will be on the screen from this room. This is called an on-site satellite. The advantage is that we get the same teaching, we are in different rooms, but then we have an opportunity to get together and still be one, one church family. Uh, as you can see the, in the corners, well, first of all, see those beautiful windows? Those are in a storage room now. Can you believe it? So we'll open those up and create uh, uh, areas where uh, conversation areas that can be workspace for 
uh, staff members, if they have a semi-private confidential meeting, uh, that sort of thing. The goal is to embrace, that building used to be uh, like a barn. We want to embrace those rafters and, and so forth. So the, I think, I really believe, and the committee that's been working on this believes that if we create a space where people actually want to go up to, it won't be an overflow room that, oh, the sanctuary's full, I gotta go up there. People will actually wanna go up there, and I think we'll accomplish this. It'll be just like adding 75 seats to this room. Next slide, I'm gonna show you the most practical part of this whole thing. <laughs> There's a classroom up there, uh, it has no windows, and so uh, we've got the plumbing figured out that we can divide that classroom into a boys' and girls' bathroom. Uh, this, for the people who go up the overflow room, it's obviously important. It's huge for the Sunday school because right now, if a young uh, student needs to go to the bathroom, one of the volunteers has to come down here. Be a whole lot more convenient. So that's what we are looking at. There are three huge pluses and two or three uh, side benefits, I'm going to call them. The three huge pluses, in my opinion, handicap accessibility for adult education, a very comfortable overflow room that I actually believe some people will prefer going up there, and that will ease crowding in this room. And the third one is the bathroom. Side benefits. I think we're gonna end up with a Sunday school area that's far superior than what we have now. I think we're gonna end up with an awesome youth room. When you open up that whole floor, uh, when the youth group get together during the week, I think it's gonna be an awesome space and hopefully students will start to come there during the week. And then opening things up down here and having an overflow cafe will ease some of the congestion in the foyer. All this, has come together from the collective voice of God. He's spoken to many individuals who have brought different ideas to the table. And uh, uh, it's just been awesome to watch the way that God has collectively put this plan together. Currently, there's about $90,000 in the building fund. It's going to take about another 150,000 to complete this. And as I said, our window of opportunity uh, I'm going to ask you to pray about how you should participate, whether it should be a financial donation because we do need to raise $150,000, or whether it should be participating in a more active way. Uh, we can save considerable money by doing the wall demolition ourselves, and so there's going to be some work days. Moving furniture in and out, demolishing walls, you'll be seeing more about that uh, in the future. Uh, if you would like to uh, uh, donate money specifically to buy a certain part of the furniture or something like that, we can uh, certainly be responsive to that. But most important, this is a Hearing from God campaign. Please pray about it. And uh, in God's timing, we'll move forward and uh, make better use of our building. In conclusion, I just want to encourage you to continue to practice listening to God, inviting him into your thoughts. Quiet yourself however that looks for you. But if we're going to move forward as a church body, we must continue to be directed by our Lord and Savior. And the only way we can do that is as individuals 
and with a collective unifying voice that I'm confident God is going to continue to provide. Let me pray. Oh, Father God, first of all, I just want to thank you that you are a God that we can come to and we can share our thoughts, we can share our concerns, we can share our frustrations. And not only will you listen to us, but you will speak to us. And Lord, I pray that you teach each and every one of us how to open our thoughts up to you. And if you want to speak to us in an audible voice or through scripture or however, that's awesome. But just teach us to recognize your voice. Oh Lord, I thank you for all you've done for this church body. I thank you for all that you've put in place as we move forward. And add up as always, we pray this in our Savior's name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, and you're dismissed.